Okay, so one of the mitzvahs of Yom Kippur is to fast. You all know that? The, Gemara, the Pasuk says this in the following words. The Pasuk says... Sorry? Well, there's also the mitzvah not to do work. Um, like on Shabbos and Yom Tif. And there's also the other forms of affliction. Um, oh, we just lost Bill. It comes back. There's also the other forms of affliction. Um, wearing shoes, washing, etc. Okay. Um, this pos- this mitzvah is um, written in the Torah in Parshas Emir on the tenth of this um, seven months. It is Yom Kippurim. You shall afflict your souls. And then in the following verse, it says. Um, any soul which does not afflict itself on this day will um, be cut off. Kares. And then again in the in um, in Pasuk Lamed base it says again, You shall afflict your souls. Um, now afflicting primarily means fasting, refraining from eating and drinking, <coughs> and it also includes the five, the other four of the five afflictions refraining from washing, anointing, uh, marital intimacy, and wearing shoes. There's some discussion as to whether the other forms of um, affliction are also biblically um, forbidden or perhaps uh, on some lesser level of um, uh, prohibition. But certainly, uh, most importantly, the mitzvah is, uh, afflicting refers to the mitzvah to fast. I would agree that you don't get cars for the others. It's not a chiyuv. Uh, okay. Right. Now, let's look at a Gemara, which is not a talking about Yom Kippur at all. It's talking about all other forbidden um, consumptions, forbidden eating non-kosher food. Um, now, we know that any amount of non-kosher food is forbidden to eat. However, it's called even a partial measurement is forbidden biblically to eat. You're not even allowed to eat a tiny spoonful of shrimp. Um, however, the liability um, in the case of uh, something which is done in intentionally the liability to the lashes or in some cases even to the death penalty or the liability for an inadvertent transgression of bringing a carbon, of bringing a chatos sacrifice, is only if a person partakes of a kezayis of an olive's bulk of food. Um, and again, this is not um, true to Yom Kippur, we'll get to Yom Kippur afterwards, but in order to understand Yom Kippur properly, we have to um, uh, sort of contrast it uh, against the backdrop of other forbidden um, Food. So the Gemara says like this: This is the Gemara in Chulin, Daf Kuf Gimel Amud Beis. Amir Abshem Ben Lakish, Kazayis Shamra Chutz Shal Ben Ashinaim. Rish Lakish holds that um, when we say that you're a liable, let's let's talk about a chatos to the carbon chatos to the sacrifice. If you eat a kazayis, it doesn't take into account that which gets stuck in between your teeth. So if a person has an exact olive's bo- size of a piece of pork and he eats it and there's a, a few pieces of meat stuck between his teeth so then he's not liable to the carbon because he's actually devoured less than a kezayis Rabbi Yechanan says no, even that which got stuck in between the teeth is also um, included in the prohibition and counts towards the measurement of a kezayis and then the Gemara qualifies Amir of Papa, but Bishal Benishmanaim, the Kulam, the Pligi, Kipligi Menech and Echaim, Masavarinen, the Grain of Bekazayas, and Masavar Hilab may have been. And if Papa explains that actually, the, 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 no, it's not accurate, both Rishwakish and Abyechin agree that um, food remnants that get stuck in between one's teeth is not, you're not considered to have eaten it. The question is, what about food that gets stuck between, behind your gums? But if food gets stuck behind your gum, so as Rashi explains, that it's the palate that tastes the food. So if it gets stuck behind the gums, you've already tasted it. So you've already enjoyed the pleasure of the taste of the non-kosher food. 
So Rish Lakish holds, and try to remember the names because we're going to be referring back to these a lot. Rish Lakish holds that Hanas Achila Bameyev Beinon. That when the Torah says thou shalt not eat pork, eat the word eat Achila connotes specifically ingesting it, and therefore if even if you tasted it, but if it didn't make it down into your stomach. You're not, that's not considered eating, and therefore, if you ate the kazais and a little piece got stuck behind your gums and you did not swallow it, um, that's not considered eating the kazais. And Rabbi Yochanan says, No, I know it's groine yasotera, nene kazais, that his, well, literally, that means his throat, but we don't mean the throat, we mean his mouth. His mouth has had the, enjoyed the pleasure of eating a kazais, of the taste of a kazais, and therefore, even if some remnant of it, Remains stuck in, in behind the gums, um, then he's still liable to the carbon. What happens if somebody ate half a kazais of pork and then he vomited it? And then he ate another half a kazais of pork. So, has he is he liable to a carbon? So the Gemara brings in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, who says that he is liable for a carbon. Why? Because at the end of the day, his groiner, his mouth, has enjoyed the pleasure of a full kazais worth of pork. Now it doesn't say this in the Gemara explicitly, but the assumption is that Rish Lakish would hold, um, and I believe Rashi says this, that the, that that that. that that Rishlokish would hold that he's potter, that he's exempt, because even though you swallowed a full kazais of pork, you never at any one time had a full kazais of pork in your stomach. So according to Rishlokish, who says that that the stomach is what con- constitutes eating, so in that case, um, he wouldn't be, he would not be chayef. And then the Gemara goes on to say that, uh, that not only if I had half a kazayas and I vomited it and I had another half a kazayas, would I be chayef, but that according to Rabbi Yechanan, even if I ate half a kazayas, I vomited it, and then I re-ate that very same half a kazayas, I would, according to Rabbi Yechanan, still be chayef um, carbon. And indeed, we pass it like Rabbi Yechanan, and in the words of the Rambam, it's explicit in Hilchus Machalos Asuras Perakir Dalat Gimel, that <coughs> sorry, that um, even if a per that 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 that, um, that stu- food stuff which got stuck behind the gums does count toward a kazayas, and that even if a person ate half a kazayas, vomited it, and re ate that very same kazayas, he would be chayiv because we paskin like Rabbi Yechonah. Now. It goes more about taste. Yes, it, it's about it's about the 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 the, 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 the mouth, the experience <coughs> of your mouth, not the experience of your stomach. Shlokish holds it's about the experience of your stomach. Rechadon holds it's about the experience of your mouth. Okay, that's all regarding all the surim of the Torah. Now. There are some differences between Yom Kippur and other Yisurim in the Torah, Legabe eating, which are explicit in the Gemara. Um, And the most important difference is how much you need to eat. For every Israel in the Torah besides Yom Kippur, in order to be chayv, you have to eat a kazayas the size of an olive. On Yom Kippur, the si- amount of food that you need to eat to be chayv is bigger than a kazayas. It's kisavas hagasa, which means a date, um, the size of a date. And the reason why that uh, Yom Kippur is different than all other Yisurim is because, like, we, like you may have noticed when we read the Psukim, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah, thou shalt not eat on Yom Kippur. It says you should afflict yourselves. It doesn't use the word achila, the word eating. Now the word eating, we say, in order for something to be considered eating, it has to be the size of an olive. If you're eating less than an olive, 
That's not considered eating. That's whatever. That's insignificant. Maybe it's considered tasting. It's not considered eating. But in Torah, it doesn't say that you shouldn't eat an Yom Kippur. It says you should afflict yourself to Yom Kippur. So apparently, eating a kazayis, if a person only eats an olive size on Yom Kippur, he would still be afflicted. In order to not be afflicted, you have to eat the size of a date. When a person eats the food, uh, food in the size of a date, now he has accomplished Yisuve Daita. He has c- accomplished... Um, how do you say Yisuve Daita? Um, satiating his mind, his, uh, satiating himself. Not satiating as in that he's no longer hungry, but he's provided some, some level of... Um, Relief, right? And therefore, and that's the amount that uh, triggers the chiyuv on Yom Kippur. Less than that, you may have eaten, but you are still uh, afflicted. So everything that I've said so far is explicit in the Gemara, in the Shreinim, Sefer Chinuch, etc. Now, based on all of what we have discussed, the Menuchas Chinuch famously. discusses well if in that case what about um Hanois Grain and Hanois Meov with all other foods we've established the halacha it remains that Hanois Grain that it's the it's the it's the experience in the mouth that is the trigger of the liability for eating pork for example and therefore, um, if you ate half a kazais, vomited it, and ate it again, or if you ate exactly kazais and some of it got left in between your behind your gums, you chayev. So the minute time frame that has to be in. Kadeh achilas pras. Sorry. The time frame of eating. Yeah, the time frame is kadeh achilas pras, which is. Kadeh achilas pras is for Yom Kippur. We usually consider that to be nine minutes. Um, well, we always, there's different opinions. We always try to be strict. So, like on Pesach, when you have to eat the kazais matzo. Can you repeat the question? The answer, please. Yeah, the question is, what's the time frame to eat that amount of food to for, to trigger the liability? Um, and uh, the um, so it's kadeachilas pras, which means the amount of time it takes to eat half a loaf, um, and a loaf being um, uh, the, the half a pras is either the size of three egg eggs or four eggs it's different and each egg is two olives so well, when it comes to eating a kazais of matzah on Pesach or sorry right but um, no that's one kazais that's not four, that's not four eggs how long does it take to, to eat that one mouthful <laughs> So on, on Pesach, we're machmir, and on Sukkot, we have to have the kazais of bread on the first night of Sukkot, on the first kazais of matzah on the first night of Pesach. We're machmir to try and eat it in four minutes, or some people maybe even do three minutes. But on Yom Kippur, where it's a chumrah to, to say the kachilas press is even longer, we say nine minutes. So if somebody is told by a rabbi that on Yom Kippur, he, he's, his health is, uh, yeah, that he has to be eating shiurim, so you could have less than the date size of food, and you have to wait in between each thing nine minutes. Yeah, that's the standard time for Achilles Pras. What is this, the size of dates compared to olives? Like I'm, I'm olives. You have to dates think are of bigger, right? Dates, date is bigger, but you have to a think a little bit more maple than. than yes, you have to think of a fresh date and a fresh olive, not the way you oh. p- p- see them. Not a dried one. Pickled oh, and so much more food you're allowed to eat then. Look at that. <laughs> well, without getting without without uh, right. liability, right. Um, it's still Oscar, even if you have a little tiny bit. I know. Okay. Just keep, you just don't get cars. So, 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 so the question that the Minchaschinuch poses over here is that we see that there's an essential difference between eating an Yom Kippur and all other prohibitions that relate to eating, because on all other things, the the key phrase, the key word is achila eating, and in Yom Kippur the key word is afflicting yourself. And we see that that even has a 
nafkimin and lamaisa, there's a practical difference that the Gemara says that that's why this sh- the size that you eat in Yom Kippur is a kisavis, is a date, and not a kazais. So the Chinuch is going to now explore um, how that would possibly affect the whole question of do we do, is it determined by the stomach ex- experience or by the mouth's experience? So I want to basically, I'm going to read the Minchitzchinuch inside and sort of paraphrase it as we go along. Nistapakti. so the basis for him to be able to ask the question is that the Gemara and the Rambam that codify this halacha that we follow the Hanaz Garin say Kezayis Shas the 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 Kezayis yeah in, in, sort of as Kezayis as a as a proper noun yeah. Kazayas Shastra Torah, the, the Kazayas prescribed by the Torah, um, includes that which gets stuck behind the gums, for example. Right? Well, that says to him, well, maybe Yom Kippur is not, because Yom Kippur is not a Kazayas. Yom Kippur is, is a date, not an olive. And if the determining factor on Yom Kippur is Yisuve Daita, it's are you afflicted or are you. Um, Relieved, right? Well, that which gets stuck behind your gums may be tasty, but it's not going to relieve you. It's not going to provide you any feeling of nutrition or or, or relieving your hunger. I'm afflicted when it's not a whole steak. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I agree. You agree? No, no. <laughs> right. Um, right, but 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 but, but perhaps perhaps in Kippur, where we need to have, um, a f- uh, w- in order to trigger the liability, you need to you, you you need to be relieved of your hunger. So then, perhaps even Rabbi Yochanan would agree that Hanoi's Gorin doesn't trigger it. Right, that's a reasonable assumption. Is a Kazai's is volume. It's volume. So yes. you could actually have something that's say an olive this big. But you would, have, you would assume that for a person to. There's a book in the library called Kazai's. You have all those pictures. If feel somewhat relieved from their hunger, it doesn't matter how much they're tasting. What matters is what's going into their. Exactly. Stomach, that's, right? pre- that's precisely his argument. That right. even Rabbi Yechanan, who, as far as all other prohibitions in the Torah, maintains the Hanos Gorin, that the mouth experience is what triggers the liability. Perhaps Rabbi Yochanan would admit that Yom Kippur is different. That's precisely the question of the Menachas Chinuch. Mm-hmm. Unless you argue it's psychological. But, uh, no. <laughs> uh, and, and you, I mean, we're not going to go through all the Achreinim who discussed this, um, but in all the Achreinim that I've seen, I haven't. It's all about bringing riots in the Gemara this way or that way. It's not. Uh, Okay. So now he goes on to say, on the flip side of his doubt, is that if I wa- if we are to accept that Hanoas Goroin, that the mouth experience in and of itself does not trigger liabilities vis vis Kipper. Would we then go on to say that Hanois Mi'ayim, that the stomach experience triggers the liability, regardless of Hanois Garin, or are we going to say you need both? So his example is 
based on the Gemara Mesachim, that if a person wraps up the matzah in a sieve, so you take a kazayas of matzah and you wrap it in, uh, in modern day terms, you would say you put it into a capsule. Yeah? And you swallow the matzah, you take a kazayas of matzah, put it into a big capsule, and you swallow it. Right? Are you going to the mitzvah of matzah? So the Gemara says no, right? It's Mephurish in the Gemara. And the Minchachonuch brings here from the Lacha Mishnah that he says that the same is true with all the Surim Shabbatari, that if a person takes a kazais of pork and puts it into a capsule and, uh, and swallows it, that, he is not, that, that there's no liability. He doesn't necessarily say it's permissible, yeah, but there's no liability. Because in all this case you have to taste it, right? Right, well, you... Yeah, well, there's two ways of saying this. Well, you, no, first of all, you have to taste it. You have to taste it. In fact, this year there was a lot of discussion about you know people who had the corona and lost their sense of taste. Can they fulfill the mitzvah of matzah and maror? Right, especially maror, which you have to have the bitter taste. Yeah, but 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 at face value, what the the reason would be? Yeah, you have the the, the taste, the tasting the food is an integral part of the experience. Avachila. Right. And therefore, the Menachem Shinoch questions that even if we are to accept the, pers- the, the, the first level of his argument, that Rabbi Yochanan would admit that Hanoi's garden, that the mouth experience does not trigger liability vis a vis Yom Kippur, perhaps, but we still can't say that it's Hanoi's Mayayim, that just, that yeah. That if a person takes a, a date's worth of food and wraps it into a capsule and swallows it, that he would be chayiv. Because we see from the Gemara Sachim about Matzah and from the Lacha Mishnah and some other sources that if you just swallow it without the experience of the mouth, that's also not considered eating. You're saying even on Yom Kippur, right? Oh, exactly. Well... well Let's talk. A, we'll get to him specifically in a second. But right. So what he's suggesting right now is that that he starts to say, okay, Anim Kippur Hanos Garin is not enough, but Hanos Miyayim is also not enough. Perhaps you need both, right? So in order to be Chayv of Anim Kippur, you would have to eat it in a natural way, not in a capsule, and you would also have to actually digest a full date's worth. So if you had half a date's worth and then vomited it and then had another date's worth, half a date's worth, you would not be liable on Anim Kippur. Because at the end of the day, you haven't been relieved of your hunger. So now you're on to Yom Kippur. Oh, so he's he's ambivalent, but then he says that actually, it seems obvious to me that this would be the case for Yom Kippur, and his <coughs> his primary proof for this is when he because he compares it to benching. And he says, "All right." <laughs> yeah, and we'll see in this discussion. We'll see how much we get to. But a lot of the discussion compares it to to to, um, to making a bracha. So, for example, we're going to talk about IV, right? If a person consumes food or liquid through an IV or some other way of injecting it directly into the stomach or whatever it is. Well, we'll see. There's a difference, perhaps. Yeah, but those your person wouldn't make a before and after blessing on that, right? So, peg. There's, there's two different things. There's one. Straight to the stomach. Right. Peg. Yeah. halachically, there could be a big difference between those two. Um, but um, but but let's. Let's not jump the gun here, but basically he says that um, the Menuch Chinuch says that just like that 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 if we know that by Yom Kippur and this goes back to what you asked Bob, we know that by Yom Kippur the determining factor is the time frame is Kedeh Ilas Pras. So he says if it's about we know that all Shiurim Halacha Moshe Musina. In other words, it doesn't necessarily make sense. That's Halacha Moshe Musina. Moshe Rabbeinu received from Sinai, from Har Sinai, that this is the time frame. But he says it has to has to sort of add up. So if we tell you that it it, it Hanoi's Garden is the experience of your mouth that triggers the liability, so then I could say, okay, so the, the, the measurement you have to have this amount of food in this time frame, and then 
you are chay. But if the liability is hanos me'ayim, if the if the if the liability is triggered by your being relieved of hunger, so then what's achilas pras got to do with? What's the time frame of how long it takes you to eat half a loaf got to do with anything? The time frame that should play a role is how long does the food stay in your stomach. Right, if I eat half a date's worth now, and then after that, the time frame for that amount of food to leave my stomach and go into the next part of the digestive system, I have another half a date. Okay, then you're not. Then that would make sense to say you're not chayiv. But just because I waited 15 minutes in between, the food is still there. So I've experienced, the, I've, I felt the experience of being relieved by my hunger by having a full date's worth of food in my stomach. So why should achilas pras make a difference? Um. So based on all of this, the Minchas Chinuch basically concludes that in, or, that, that in order to be chayv in Yom Kippur, you need both. Even though, it means we pass like Rabbi Yechanan. Even though Rabbi Yechanan, even though we pass in all other Isurim in the Torah, that Hanoah's Gorin in and of itself, just the mouth experience, triggers the Chiyuv, with Yom Kippur, even Rabbi Yechanan would admit that you need both. That's seems to be the bottom line. So, if you, so for some reason you're not keeping it down, then it wouldn't be over a chiyu on your own. Right. Now. Not everybody agrees with him in Chizchinuch. The Semech doesn't agree with him. The Chesam Seifer, there seems to be different places he says different things. Um, but uh, he, um, he seems to argue at least in some places. On the second part, the, the most, most of the arguments are in the second part that um, you, need, you need also um, satiation of hunger. Right. The Egletal, very importantly, the Egletal is also one of the very prominent Achrenim who agrees, who writes explicitly. I don't know if he quotes the Minchas Chinuch, but he explicitly says that you need both. Um, For Yom Kippur, that you would only be Chayim. Okay, so now, now the question is. And this question is something which has sort of bothered me for a long time, and I, 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 I still don't have full clarity on it, but I'll share with you what I do have. And that is about IVs. Um, now, there's two, there's two questions, or really three questions, when it comes to IVs and Yom Kippur. Um, one question is... Um, one question is now when I want to say IVs and Yom Kippur we kind of have to assume that if there is ever going to be an IV and Yom Kippur that you're going to have to um, install inject the needle and in sort of prepare the whole setup before Yom Kippur because certainly putting in the needle um, on Yom Kippur would violate um the, you're making a wound, you're causing blood, all things which are forbidden to do on, on, on account of, of doing work on Yom Kippur. But the, the, the reason why, the, the, there's three questions with the IV. The, the first question is, when a person is in a life-threatening situation where he has to eat on Yom Kippur, right? Whether he has a heart condition, diabetes in, in many cases, depend, diabetes depends on the, on, on the type of diabetes and depends on many, many things. I actually recently had a conversation with an individual in Monsi by the name of Rabbi Meisels, who is a tremendous, tremendous expert on diabetes, and he gave me the time of day, and we had a very good conversation. Um, but um, did he say you need for it? You what? You, you, see, you seem to be more extreme or less extreme about the need for. Well, it depends on the type of diabetes and on the experience of the individual, but. He did say, one thing that actually I could say uh, clearly, that anybody who does have diabetes and has to monitor their blood in Yom Kippur, so there's a few things that you have to do to, because, because and this would apply to every Shabbos, if you have to monitor your blood on Shabbos. And now, 
some people have a digital way of doing it, and they have something, an implant, which they sort of wave their smartphone by or something like that, which that's, not sorry, yeah, that's all Asamudarabon, and those are all biblical, uh, only rabbinic prohibition, so it's last thing. But if you have to actually pro- pick, uh, make a hole, and take out the blood, so he says that the way to, that you should do, you have to be careful of three things. First of all, you should press the needle with a shinoi. So, for example, instead of triggering the needle with your hand, use your teeth or use your left hand or do it in an unusual way to trigger the needle. And make sure that the needle is going to go all the way in so that the blood will drip and that you don't have to squeeze your finger. Because squeezing your finger to produce blood is also a prohibition. If the needle doesn't go in far enough and you do have to squeeze your finger, then again, you should do it in an unusual way. So instead of sort of squeezing your finger like this, you would, I don't know, go put pressure on it some other way. And he also suggests that when that little tab that you put the blood on and you poke it into the machine, if possible, should also be done with a shinoi with some difference. But certainly... Diabetes is very subjective. If anybody has a question the mice about diabetes, I'm happy to discuss with them um, about it. But anyway, the, the question is like this. If somebody does have to eat an imkipper, again, whatever the, 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 the medical condition is. Um, so the halacha is machinin oisei hakal. Hakal, hakal. Um, so the Mishnah says in Yuma, if somebody has a bulmus, um, bulmus is some sort of sickness that comes of malnutrition and it affects his his eyesight um, but it could be life-threatening so yeah you have to the Mishnah says you feed him even non-kosher food even anything you have to this is a life-threatening thing and and and, and you could feed him anything um, and then the Gemara brings a bride sir that somebody who has this right if you have if the, if the choice is between two non-kosher foods so you feed him that which is less problematic so for the example is if you have tevel um, which means produce which is not tithe and nevela non-kosher meat so then you give him um, the nevela, the non-kosher meat, because tevel is a st- uh, the non-tithe produce is a, has a higher level of, of penalty um, than the non-kosher meat, right? So based on that principle, so we always look for something which is less problematic. So based on that... Wait, you said tevel is... More problematic than nevela. So the person should eat nevela, rather? Yes. Right? So... So the question is, if somebody has to eat an Yom Kippur, L'chaira, now that we have the option of IV, should he... Should we say that you should make sure to get yourself an IV set up before Yom Kippur, and instead of eating food, eat through an IV? Which would... Whatever the status of the... Pro, of uh, Whether eating through an IV is... Provision at all. Yeah, well, what's the status of it? But certainly it would seem to be less... Severe, strict than than regular eating. That's one question. The second question is, what about a chayla she'ein beisakana? Somebody who's not, let's say, let's say a, a, a pregnant or nursing woman, yeah. So that's considered a chayla she'ein beisakana. It's not dangerous, and in most circumstances, such a woman is obligated to fast in Yom Kippur. But it can be very difficult and draining, and they have to monitor themselves, and if, if they're borderlining dehydration, then they do have to break their fast. And Would it not be simpler and easier on these people to just say, put an IV, you know, they have, uh, you get uh, the Refua 311, and all the pregnant women in Chicago should go to the new center on Lincoln uh, thing, and get themselves done with an IV before Yom Kippur. And then instead of instead of mutching the whole day Yom Kippur and the husband's in shul and worrying about her and she's home with five kids jumping on her and she's nursing and she's pregnant, you have an IV and that's it. Shalom on Israel, right? Another service provided. Right. There is, I just got a letter from them that they provide nearly 50 services. So I, give them, I have another idea, another service. Yeah, they 51 provide. now. Right. So what? Who told you about that idea? Don't worry. Who did? There's Bill. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. He, this whole idea, idea, idea thing, he's very into it. Like, uh, he, he wants to do it? Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> when did he think about it? This year? No, a few years ago. When, uh, was, uh, and what did he say? But the Maya said he hasn't done it. No, he, uh, not, 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 not
not, not as a service, but I think he wasn't saying it much of an issue. Right. Okay. And then well, then I think they do do it. Yeah, I know. They do do it for some yes, people that need it. And then the third question is, what about somebody who's not a chayinah, just a regular person? Like, if, if, if eating through IV is completely permissible, so then why do I need to mutcher the whole day in Yom Kippur and then thing? I just have an IV. Every few hours I'll go out and get myself a recharge. I'll put in some caffeine. And, <laughs> and, and what's the problem? Now, so, so, so of all these three questions, the one that's the most discussed in the poskim is the first one. And as we'll see, the poskim invariably discourage Make doing kippers. IV. In other words, if somebody has to eat an Yom Kippur, eat. Don't do, uh, don't do shtick and have an IV. And we'll, we'll go through some of the reasons why. Um, in the first case, in, in the third case, where the person is completely healthy and he just wants to do it, so even though it may be difficult to find a strict halachic reason to prohibit it, um, but that is considered way beyond the pale, um, in the term, in the words of Rav Shlomo Zalman Oybach about, I don't know if he's mamish talking about that or something similar to that, where he calls it the novel Bershus Atira, where it's uh, it's basically just like sometimes a workaround is appropriate and sometimes it's just grossly inappropriate. Not spirit of right. Um, Legabe, the middle case where you have. Vodka bag. <laughs> I'll get to the whole time, but yeah, you want to listen to anything? Sleep in the middle. Well, davening will be amazing. Right? Now, Legabe, <laughs> Legabe, the middle case, the Legabe, the middle case of the, let's call it the pregnant nursing woman case. So there, it, again, there's, there is not much published literature on it, but my, my the, the rumors are that in some communities, like in Borough Park, etc., it, it's, it's somewhat prevalent. Um, for these women to have an IV put before Yom Kippur, and I imagine that this is the type of thing that's going to become more and more prevalent until the wannabes in, Bar- in Chicago who want to make Chicago be like Borough Park are also going to implement it, and then we'll all be what? having these IVs put in for women. IV stations, the day before. Coming out of Yom Kippur, you get an IV. What? My, my mother has a very strict view about women fasting when they're pregnant. I'm not sure exactly where the cutoff and how many months or whatever, but she definitely thinks when it's really close to the pregnancy, it's downright dangerous. Yeah, okay, it's not, not just dangerous in the thing. They don't mention this. They don't want to realize going into labor when you're dehydrated, not dehydrated is where it becomes a danger. That's what my mother It's not during the thing. Yeah. That's the difference. At least the. the okay, go to the. Uh, uh, yeah. She does believe it creates. It, cre- it leads to. It leads to. to uh, labor. It leads to labor, and sure. then when they're in dehydration, then you got yourself a real problem. Yeah. Anyway, um, what is it called? Infusion pump? What's it called? Pump? No, you have to get a nurse who knows what they're doing to it. The nurse just puts it in, but then what's the machine pump? <laughs> anyway, but however, however, even even in that case, um, Rabbonim are very ambivalent about it, and I think, or some Rabbonim are ambivalent about it, and I think, I think, that a big part of the issue over here is fear of the slippery slope syndrome. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, perhaps, dare I say, that even on the, on, on the most extreme case, where the person is obligated to eat, because he has a heart condition, and the rabbis say, just eat, don't bother with the IV, this is not the reason they say. They say many other reasons, which we'll go through. But I, I wonder if some of them don't have that in the back of the head, that if we at any level start permitting IVs on Yom Kippur, it's got a slippery slope, and in 20 years from now, nobody will know what it means to fast in Yom Kippur. Like we'll I'm just s- have... I'm sponsoring Kiddush. <laughs> right, we'll just <laughs> have... <laughs> Everyone, I'll sponsor the IV bags. Right. Right. <laughs> now, now, before we go into the reasons which about not, not to do the IV, it's important to, 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 to point out like this, that we've spoken about Hanos Meyayim and Hanos Goyim. We've spoken about the mouth experience and the stomach experience, and we've, we've demonstrated that at least according to the Menchus Chinuch and many others, you need to have Yom Kippur, the trigger for Yom Kippur is Yisuvei Daito, it's the opposite of afflicting yourself, and it's the relief of the hunger. Now here it's very important to differentiate, because L'chaira, it would appear, I think most, most Rabbanim and doctors agree with this, 
I mean, it's a fact. It's a, it's a little bit. It, you might get into a little bit semantics, but that IVs do provide nutrition. They could provide vitamins. They could provide medication. They could provide hydration. But they don't relieve hunger. They don't. It doesn't go through the stomach. It goes straight into the bloodstream, whatever it is, and it doesn't. It doesn't relieve hunger. And so, even if you were to accept the the, uh, we said the Minchah says that in Kippur you you need both in order to trigger the liability. You need both the mouth and the stomach experience. It, arguably, IV is ne- is neither of them. Mm. It could even be less than that. Now that's why I wanted to differentiate before because some people have, and this is more of a permanent condition that people have a peg, where they eat through a peg. There, it does go into the stomach. Mm. Right? So that's very so different feed, than an IV. Right? Well, pig still goes to the arteries, but the feeding tube goes to uh, the stomach. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so the, there could be a big difference, halachically, between an IV and a feeding tube that goes into the stomach. Because a feeding tube that goes into the stomach um, does provide with relief of hunger. The only thing is, you don't have the mouth experience. I'm told by patients they're still hungry. I, I think it's very. It's, I think it's an obvious thing. You could ask. Yeah. Ask any any woman who's ever been. My vodka bag sounded much better. Right there. <laughs> ask any woman who's ever been induced into labor, which is a process that takes hungrier. at minimum a good few hours, and they're not allowed to eat during that time, and the whole time they're on an IV and they're starving. Yeah. Huh? The people that have something that goes that, that pumps directly into the stomach, that no, they're, they're they, not, they, they don't they're complain not. of hunger. No. Actually, I know someone. I don't know him, so I'm not so in touch with him. But I have a cousin who, who's. I mean, he's in his twenties. I don't think he's ever eaten anything in his life. He only eats through the stomach. Really. Um, wow. I mean, maybe maybe he's learned to be able to taste some a tiny sip of something, but. Uh, that's, um, the liquids and everything he takes from the stomach. Yeah. Wow. But he doesn't know anything else, really. Right? It's not like he was eating at one point and then lost yeah, it. But I don't, but th- you could say that about taste, hunger. That wouldn't, uh, if you feel hungry. No, no, I'm just saying, like, I, I just uh, was, was concerned about his the level of suffering that is. Right. But I think it's probably better that he never... Because yeah. mm. like, it's, it's, it's still probably even if you don't you, you yeah you feel, I think it, there's uh, something like really yeah. difficult about that. I even think if you're, I think that, you I think totally full because you're again pumping. I don't really know him now. I knew him as a younger child. I, I think that for him at least then the, the main issue was being different than everybody. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about that he felt he was missing something uh, experience. Um, you know, he sat around with his family at the Shabbos table and he didn't eat anything, you know, like. But I gotta say, I like the idea of having a trip all night. You just eat the whole night. It's pretty good. Cool. <laughs> um, anyway, um, no, and it comes on the and it's a lot of, you know, Anyway, fine. Um, okay, now, <clears throat> so. What, now, so besides the reasons that I've said already, why IV would seem to be a much better option, right? If a person has to eat an Yom Kippur, then the Chayur, they should have to take an IV. There's no Hanois Gorin. There's arguably no Hanois Mi'ayim either, right? There's not the mouth or the stomach experience. Um, and even if you say there is Hanois Mi'ayim, um, there is sources to suggest that anything that's not done in the normal way of Achila, that doesn't pass through the mouth down into the stomach, that doesn't. It's not considered. It's not considered eating at all. Um, uh, even in a much more vague way than just a peg. For example, the Shagasaria talks about. Um, they bring the Shagasaria that talks about uh, eating, eating uh, raw fats of an animal, right? Which is that, that's not the way you eat. That's not. That's not the normal way of using it, and therefore there wouldn't you would be. Think if you get an IV, even the thing of an IV is affliction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, even more affliction than. Right, so but you're afflicting yourself. You know, so, yeah. 
Yeah, but that's not that's not what in this context that's not what affliction means. In this context affliction means the five things. Anyway, so Okay, so why not? Why do why why are the poskim in general not in favor of doing IVs for people who need to eat an imkibar? Right? Again, we're not talking about the, the people pregnant. People who already are eating. People who have a heart condition, who have diabetes, who need to eat. And, 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 and it seems like it would be so obvious that you should, right? Right. Just okay. on the surface. Just like Machil and Isaiah you have to go the less prohibition, the, 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 right? So the Chayra, IV seems to be completely mutter. And even if you have some reason to may, say it's forbidden, it's certainly nowhere near as um, prohibited, nowhere near as forbidden <laughs> as is regular eating and drinking, even if you're eating and drinking less than the size of a date. So why don't we have the hospital wards in Israel and in the, in the Jewish hospitals yeah, full of IVs? Why are we feeding them? And nursing homes. So there's a number of reasons. Um, Um, number one, that when the Torah f- permits eating an imkipper, the Torah permits even the siyud alevi, even this satisfaction and relief of hunger. And um, if you're going to, um, so so why? In other words, if the Torah permits you to relieve your hunger, then there's no reason to afflict yourself uh, more than that. And compounded with the fact that for some types of sicknesses, the relief of hunger is necessary. So he brings here, you know, quoting from different doctors, that for certain heart conditions, for example, it's not ju- you know when you're talking about diabetes, it's strictly about the sugar level and the insulin level and the you know that sort of the nu- the, the the nutrition aspect, right? But for some people, like people with heart conditions, the degree of hunger is also a factor it, right, is also a factor to, to, to the person's health and safety and therefore an IV would not be recommended um, Ramosha has an interesting thing Ramosha writes Ramosha talks about this in a number of chuvas which I confess I did not look up now so I don't remember exactly but he has so he says that you would be putting in the IV before Yom Kippur where there's no obligation to fast so you're just making yourself a wound for no reason right now there's no need for the wound so you're making yourself a wound for which there's no reason to do it right now it's, it's a dip- you're doing the wound before Yom Kippur right, so you're not allowed to wound yourself it's a bit of a strange which is kind of a minor uh, chet, right? yeah, but okay that the, the, the part, of, know, the, the part of it that's strange to me is then what do you mean? Like you always have an obligation to worry. Like you don't wake up in sukkahs and say, "Whoops, I don't have a lulav and I don't have a sukkah." Right? You have to take care of it before. As part of the, if the Torah tells you that on the fifteenth of Tishrei you have to shake a lulav and eat in the sukkah, then included in that is the assumption that you have to see to it yeah, before. Yeah, this is different. Right? Yes. So this why? is not a mitzvah. Yeah, it's a mitzvah to fast. It's a mitzvah to fast. Yeah, but yourself. you're not. You're, you're, that's not what you're doing. You're not setting yourself up so that you could fast. You're setting yourself up that you could get around the the. Not, uh, you're not fasting. You're trying no, you to make are. it that you can eat. No, you are fasting. No, yeah, but you're not doing something to make it that you're that you're that you're fasting. Yes, you're, you are. You're I have a mitzvah to afflict myself, right? right. Fast, now I'm not able to do that because chasasholam, not me. Somebody is not Ruven Kleinimus uh, uh, is not able to do that because he has a heart condition, and Kleinimus is also not able to shake lulav because um, they're not allowing him to import lulav him into his country. Right, so what does Kleinimus have to do? Before Yom Kippur, he has to make sure um, to find um, a way that afflicting himself won't interfere with his heart condition, namely inserting an IV. And he also has to make sure to travel to a place where he can find a lulav and turn on sukkahs, or a shefer and a rosh I, I see a difference, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not articulating it right. But okay, I'm, so think about it, and we'll yeah, think. But, um, <clears throat> interesting. Okay. Anyway. Then okay, but also when it comes to the chet of uh, of of uh, making putting a wound on yourself, well, you're not. Can't you be? Oh, you, you're not. I don't know how those those how the works. But if you're okay with it, is it that make any difference? 
or if you're doing it for no. Okay, so that we're not going to get into all the halachas of, of wounding yourself right now. Um, possibly yes, because you could say that if it's for constructive purpose, then it's not forbidden. In which case, there are, yeah, and that's another question, Ramosha. Okay, another thing that Ramosha and others argue is that there are numerous complications that could go wrong with IV. There's there's infections that are common um, because of IV and other things like that. So even though statistically they may be rare, but again, if the Torah permits you to eat, you're not obligated to put yourself into a situation where you risk um, getting um, central venous catheter-related bloodstream infections, CRBSI, and other MRSA stands for... MRSA. MRSA, there you go. Um, so... You know, and then you have, uh, um, and he says over here that he's heard from many doctors that every year after Yom Kippur they're dealing with complications from people whose IVs caused infections or they did it themselves without the proper help of a nurse or a professional and then all sorts of things go wrong. So again, from a layman's perspective, it would seem like that's a small problem. But the Rabbanim seem to take this very seriously, and the doctors, so what do I know? Um, so how many people you're basically, you're basically um, <laughs> um, popularizing a medical intervention when really all you need to do is eat. Right. Basically. But again, that's also kind of a slippery slope sy- sy- syndrome, because you could just say, do the IV, but make sure you have a professional do it and it's taped in place properly and what's the chances that if you do that it's going to cause infection i guess it could maybe happen maybe they don't trust that people are all going to be doing it right right i mean yeah, it, it could happen i mean the truth is i'm thinking about it you know even people who have i, I have you know i've seen people with ivs for a day or two or three but they're usually sitting in a hospital but not moving around too much if you're sitting at home with your kids running around there's much more chances of it becoming dislocated um and stuff like that but again that doesn't help for somebody who's who is in a hospital, right? So it's a bit, the fact that you have every year after Yom Kippur, who's coming to you with the infections? Are the people who have been lying in the hospital bed? Or is it the mothers who are running home with their children? So again, again, there seems to be an element here of policy, not strict halacha. Mm-hmm. P- from, a, from a policy perspective, this is not a smart idea. Um, the difference when you do something and only a few people out of many are doing it, and then you can make sure it's being done right by right. proper medical standards. But to expect to be done by uh, across the board, so the less people doing it, the better, basically. Right. says that also another problem that this could cause is that people would think that you have to do it this way, and therefore, if he doesn't have an IV, he's going to put him bring himself to a massive of danger. Um, Right, that's why we don't on Shabbos when you have to do something for Pekorach Nefesh, we don't look for a goy to do it um, or a young child because the next time the goy might not be available and the person will think, oh, I'm not allowed to do this. Right, so there's that concern as well. Um, and he says additionally, um, the IV problem also causes a lot of inadvertent chilim kipper. He says a lot of times it falls out and then you have to put it again in on Yom Kippur and or people don't realize that it's better not to put it back in on Yom Kippur and they put it in and that itself is a violation of Yom Kippur and uh, people end up calling Hatzala and you have people driving on Yom Kippur for it and he brings here all these stories where this happened and that happened where this woman, the, the sugar went low and she had eight people ended up driving and carrying and you know because of the complications that could happen and therefore um, um, but even there, I, even so, with that case, with what, you're, you're talking about Anyom Kippur people doing doing um, alacha. So what? But why at, is that, at that point it was so mutter. much worse than the Esr Kares of, uh, of eating? Well, I, I don't know that it's. Um, I don't know that it's. Uh, I think he's concerned that people will just panic and call Hatzalah when it's not really necessary to call them. Okay, but that would be a, their abundant of calling, whatever, as opposed no, to... No, it's a device, so they're going to drive. Okay, also driving. But, but, okay, so they do that, and then, so that they're doing it for the sake of right. being able to eat on Yom Kippur, um, 
instead of eating it in the Isidoraisa way, they did the Isidoraisa of, of, of Malacha. Right. Who so. says one is worse than... Again, with all of the reasons here, we could argue this way and that way. My feeling is that it's more of a policy thing than a strict halacha thing. And but but we have we, we accept that there are. In other words, this is not like this is not a machlokes where you have fifty. All the all every all the literature that I've seen on this topic is very strongly veering away from IVs and Yom Kippur for people who need to eat. So. Um, even though to me I could argue with this reason and that reason and the other reason um, if all the leading rabbinim and doctors are pushing in that direction then I'm just going to say they probably know what they're talking about right, but I however, one second, I just want to finish off that there does seem to be an, a strong element in all of this of policy setting and therefore we don't, I don't have a clear psych or clear answer to give you about the middle case of people who are sick but not in danger and I'm sure you'll get different answers from different rabbis and I guess, predict that in the next few years we're going to see, we are going to see literature on this topic it's becoming more and more of a prevalent uh, question um, and I don't know where it's going to land um, but um, but uh, I'll, I'll just, just to heighten the, 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 the just to make the question a little bit more poignant if I will Part of the problem with pregnant and nursing women, for example, or people in that category is that, so before Yom Kippur they speak to the rabbi, and the rabbi says, okay, you have to fast, but if you reach this on this level, right, then you should break your fast and eat. Now, then, what often happens is that people don't have the confidence to do that, and they're like, no, I'm really okay, and uh, right, so there comes a situation where they should have broken their fast, but they didn't, and but that in and of itself is not necessarily grounds enough to tell them that you should just eat because I don't trust that when it comes to the stage that you'll have to eat, you're going to have the, 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 the confidence to do it. So it, it's a very sticky situation which can be circumvented by giving them an IV. Um, so again, the, uh, no question that if a person does do an IV, it has to be done safely and by uh, authorized health practitioner or whatever it is and that element of it is remains um, sort of an active discussion and again I do anticipate and hope that in the not too distant future there'll be uh, more literature available on that topic yes Ari um, I guess what I was what, what, I, what I see the difference um, is that in most mitzvahs, what you, there is a positive mitzvah. And what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to be able to do that mitzvah. Um, here is a, a non-entity. We're trying to make it that you're not going, that you're, your, your, your goal is to not eat on Yom Kippur in order to afflict yourself. So here, it's not that you're setting up the not eating. That's not what you're doing. You're setting up some alternative option I mean I guess it's I, I can see why you think it's similar but I, I also see can you not think of a parallel for the mitzvah of Shafer, Sukkah and Lulav let's say a person lives in a cold climate right yeah. would you not say that he has a chiyuv to make sure he has okay we're not talking about he lives in Siberia you live in Chicago right where if you just sit outside in your undershirt, you're going to be uncomfortable. Well, I think it's quite reasonable to say that you have to make sure you have a sweater before sukkah so that you could fulfill the mitzvah. Uh, I could even of find shofar. sources for this. Of sukkah. Of sukkah. Right? Yeah. Right? Because you, in order to be in the mitzvah of sukkah, you have to be there comfortable. Again, we're not talking about extreme cases, right? Yeah. But there's certain basic things that you need to do. Obviously, if, you're, if you don't have warm clothes and it's uh, 50 degrees outside, you're going to be cold. Right? Okay, but then buy yourself a long sleeve shirt and a sweater. Right, but I'm just saying the Yom Kippur thing is the is the negative as opposed to the positive. Here so I'm, why is I'm the doing Yom something I do so I can do the, to, to do the positive mitzvah of. Now with this, you could argue that this is somewhat positive because in the way it's said is that you're supposed to afflict yourself. It's like a positive. But what you're doing is you're setting yourself that you don't do something, which is not eat. Right. Well, you by are. by doing what? By by having some alternative that you are eating. Well, that's uh, first of all. I don't see the difference between positive and negative, and like you said, it, it is worded in the positive sense, and I don't see that as any different than buying a sweater for sukkahs. 
for the mitzvah of sitting inside. Right, the I'm too cold. I'm not going to be able to sit in the sukkah, but I'm going to buy myself a sweater so that I won't be too cold. Right? I am too weak to fast in Kippur, but I'm going to buy myself an IV to make sure that I'm not going to be too weak to fast in Kippur. It's the same thing. I, I see what you're yeah. um, I'm just going to finish off with one big kasha that I have not found anyone addressed or any answer to. And that is that when my kids eat things, they say that it's yummy in my tummy. <laughs> but according to the Minchas Chinuch, it's very clear that yummy is not in your tummy. Yummy is in your mouth, and the tummy is a separate experience. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not tell, sure. you got to tell them. Yeah, I, I'm not sure you what you got to show them the Minchas Chinuch and say, look, the Minchas Chinuch is Paskins, Allah Chalamaisa. It's not, it's not it's just the Minchas Chinuch. It's even in the altar. I mean, it's all over the Paskin. It's a Pasuk in Eev. It's not yummy in your tummy, it's yummy in your mouth. I'll come in. <laughs> <laughs> yummy in your tummy, sorry.